0: All right. If you want to uh, regather, uh, find a, a seat again. Be awesome. I uh, I always find this a funny, funny thing. How many of you just carry on with your conversation and ignore the person up front who's telling you to sit down? Just and then and then you guys behave. Now, yeah. Uh, when I was in kids' school, it was always the teacher would hold up their hand. What, what good is that here? I don't think that would work. You know, I don't think it would it would do it at all. Uh, <laughs> Jerry says you haven't been trained. She's a school teacher. She knows. Um, this morning, a real treat. I, I have in the last six months or so made a new friend, and this is my friend Ryan Guerra, and uh, he's married to Tallisi. Talasi, who I haven't met yet. Oh no, I have met. I just haven't really like gotten. We, she, she and I aren't friends yet, so I don't. I've, I've not memorized her name, I'm but Talasi. Can we say it all together? Talicy. All right. Maybe she's going to watch online. I don't know. So we could all say hi, Talasi. Hi, Talasi. And uh, Ryan has two daughters. Uh, Ryan is a pastor. He's also an, a writer and uh uh, more more importantly he loves jesus uh and uh what a privilege to have him here with us this morning can we just uh pause and invite god to speak to us today can we do that so uh jesus we thank you we come this morning um always with anticipation when we kind of open your word and when we want to hear you speak when you speak lord it makes all the difference And uh, I pray we'd have open ears and hearts today. I pray, God, would you um, use Ryan to spur us on in our apprenticeship to Jesus? And uh, would you um, bless him and replenish him even as he serves today? Thank you, God. We're looking forward to uh, these moments together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Thanks, Darwin. Well, when I get home, my wife will certainly ask how it went this morning, and I'll say, well in the first few seconds of you being up there, Derwin said, told everyone that he forgot meeting you and uh, (laughs) doesn't know your name. So Um, I recently listened to this podcast, this woman named uh, Amanda Van Edwards. She's a, um, this really has nothing to do with the sermon. So you don't have to take notes yet, but (laughs) she studies like human behavior. And particularly she's talking about public speaking and body language. And she said something that was horrifying when I listened to it at the time. And she said, in the first seven seconds that a public speaker's on stage, people have already kind of subconsciously formed their opinion of that person, decided what they think, how they're going to listen, all that. That was horrifying at the time. Then I broke my ankle ice skating and realized any time I get on stage to speak, my first seven seconds is going to be me just like trying to like clunk this big purple cast over to the (laughs) middle of the stage. So uh, hopefully the remaining seconds can be a little bit more glorious than that in our time together. Uh, two quick things about Derwin. I'm going to start with something really great about him, and then I'm going to maybe switch lanes a little bit. So, <laughs> besides him forgetting my wife's name, but um, you guys have a you guys have a really good pastor, and um, maybe that sounds like just and he's not. Well, I, I don't think he's paying me extra to say that. We could negotiate after a bit. Uh, you know, I, I say that as someone who's visited a lot of churches and met a lot of pastors and knows that the North American church is is going through, I would say, a really challenging time in its history. And um, there are a lot of places where there's a lack of health. And I don't know the last time you've taken time to just remember how blessed, how good you have it, to have a good pastor with a great... Uh, great pastors Angel and Derwin I knew I know your wife's name no big deal but um, (laughs) I'm not gonna let that go and I don't know the last time you took a moment to encourage him a couple decades at the same church it gets tiring there have been times when probably each and every one of you have been upset with a decision Derwin or Angel have made Uh, maybe currently you're upset about a decision or direction maybe they changed one of the songs or something that's really forbidden in churches and um you guys have a gift here. You have a gift in Derwin. On another note, Derwin—oh, and I'll say, uh, Derwin's actually been volunteering to mentor me. I'm in this leadership cohort, and um, they uh, pair each of us with another pastor who's—I'm going to try to say this like, nicely—has been on the planet a little bit longer than us, a little bit more mileage on them— And Derwin and I have been meeting together, and he's been such an encouragement and such a gift to me. Um, And out of that, he said, hey, do you want to come speak in my church sometime? And my initial reaction was, what an honor. And I am really honored to be here this morning. What an honor. This is so good. And then I started realizing maybe Derwin's a little smarter than uh, I realized at first. Because I'm not a sports person. I don't watch sports. And I just found out this week that he handed me Super Bowl Sunday, that Sunday where everyone's like, hey, could you shut up and finish up the message because I got to get home and start making me- nachos. And that would be one thing, but here's what I realized right away. He's like, you want to speak up? i be like, oh, I'm so honored. He's like, great. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. We're going to work through this. I was going to read this to you really quickly to just give you a little bit of a glimpse of what Derwin invited me into. Maybe some of you are keeners and have read ahead. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Here it is. Here's, here's the great invitation from Derwin. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Derwin might think, because he's been doing this a little bit longer than me, that I don't see through the invitation to be a guest speaker on the week where Jesus seems like this racist, sexist guy. (laughs) But I get it. I get what's going on here. Honestly, it's an honor. I've never gone to teach on this passage before, and um, I'm really excited to do so. Um, I want to let you know, Derwin said some things about me. I I don't, there's not much you need to know about me after today. I won't be around that much. And honestly, my hope would be that you kind of forget about me and just remember who Jesus is. Um, But I want to let you know maybe one thing about me that kind of sets the stage for what we'll do this morning. Probably many different pastors or preachers, maybe some of them have a really defined objective in like their preaching task and their public speaking. Maybe some of them are like, this is my goal. Maybe for some, it varies from week to week, and maybe some, if you're like, what's the point of, like, what's your goal in preaching? Maybe some wouldn't have an answer. Me, I have one, and it's, it's really simple, and it's really kind of like elementary, basic. I'm a pretty simple person when it comes to this task. And, and what I like to say is that my greatest goal in preaching, no matter what text, no matter what topic or anything, is to reintroduce the voice of God into the modern church, and here's a picture I'll I'll give you, and then we'll get into this pretty quickly. Um, hundreds of years ago, um, and, and prior to that, if, if you're part of a church community, they would have they wouldn't have a cocktail table like this, um, but they would have kind of a almost like a cage that they put like the like this big podium that the person would stand in, and, and they'd have like one or maybe two copies of this, and it be it would have actually like chained to the to the pulpit, the lectern, whatever you want to call it. It was chained there. It was a, kind of a power play by the church like you come here to our meetings and you can hear the Bible now some people were not happy about that some people were discontent with that I would have been one of those and uh, they went to great lengths to change that Uh, many of them gave their lives they were martyred they worked hard to to kind of break the chains of that and and to give this to people and now today we have more access to this than we've ever had before but the picture I have is that in the modern church what we've by and large done is even though we have this like on our phones, it's even available in print nowadays in case you haven't heard, but we have it everywhere, is that we've been like, man, like, I I don't know. And we've we've kind of brought it back and we've chained it back to the pulpit. And we're content to just show up on Sundays and hear this like kind of the leftovers of the devotional life of someone who's paid by an institution to, to tell us about it rather than saying, we have such great freedom. There are people who are burned down to ash in order to bring this to us were burned to dust and 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 gave so much and yet nowadays most copies of this sit on a shelf collecting that same dust and that's like my great passion is to just spark this curiosity this interest in the bible and maybe some of that will happen this morning maybe not i hope so and i hope that we become a little bit more excited because we live in a church era where most people have never who are part of the church have never read the whole bible hardly spend time doing that and i really believe That it's the primary way God speaks to us and reveals his character to us. There are other ways, but I believe it's a primary way. My journey started out when I was 17. Um, I started just reading this book, and I started just writing down some things that were fascinating, interesting things. I disagreed with things. I had questions about things that I'm like, I have no idea what's going on there, like this story. And uh, that changed my life. And I know it can change your life, too. So I don't know where you're at in that journey. None of that's to make you feel guilty, but hopefully to encourage you we're going to work through this passage um kind of fairly quickly and just make some comments and what i really hope is not that i'm going to teach some great thing but that we'll we'll journey through this passage together this is a weird this is a weird story right Uh, there are some weird stories in the bible lots of really weird ones and i think we like to pretend that there aren't like so what we do is we'll get kids to like dress up and like act out the christmas story that shows up in one gospel this shows up in two of the gospel accounts We never get kids up here, like, acting out this kind of, like, racist interchange. (laughs) If you guys have been here for a while going through Matthew, that story where Jesus goes across the lake, and there are those two demon-possessed guys. Some of the Gospels say they were naked and screaming, so I call them the shrieking streakers. But we we don't get kids to, like, act that. I mean, we probably go to jail if we do, right? (laughs) There's some weird stories. This shows up more times in the Bible than the birth account of Jesus. That's crazy. It's a weird story. One of the things I find difficult with a weird story like this is that there are so many directions it can go. A lot of times there's a pretty clear point, a lot of directions it can go. And so, because of that, this is a long intro, but because of that, I'm, I, there isn't going to be this big bottom line or go do this thing. It's going to change your life. You'll live your best life now. But I hope we'll just journey through, make some observations about who this woman is, maybe in contrast to who Jesus' close friends are and who Jesus is. And leave this place more fascinated with who Jesus is. Verse 21 leaving that place. So when Matthew says leaving that place, or he went to the other side, usually that's just showing like an ethnic shift, going from a Gentile region, a non-Jewish region, to a Jewish region, or vice versa. So again, this is kind of a parallel in some ways in my mind to that story of the shrieking Streakers, where if you don't remember, it, it's in Matthew something, eight, nine, something, I don't know. Anyways, you can also read the story in Mark 7, uh, the story of this woman here, but it just shows the shift, and that's important to That's important to an audience back then. Nowadays, you know, we we live in a culture where we'd say, you know, we're not racist like people used to be and stuff like that. I I think there's a sense of tribalism that exists throughout all of human history, and we just express it differently, and we become better at masking it in a way that's culturally acceptable. Uh, A little while ago, I was um, hanging out with a group of young adults, and I just heard this debate going on. It it was kind of, like, getting intense, and I didn't know what it was, so I started listening in, and what it was was, uh, what are better, Smarties or M&Ms? No joke. And um, <laughs> it went like this. No, Smarties are way better. No, M&Ms are. Smarties are gross. No, M&Ms suck. Smarties are the best. And it was just this very, like, one is great and one is terrible. And I sit there thinking, I kind of like both, you know? like. And so th- they actually turned to me. And they're like, Ryan, what do you think? I'm like, well, both of them are chocolate wrapped in candy, right? Like, so, Yeah. I like them both. If you're, pick, if you're asking me which one I like, prefer, it's peanut M&Ms, but it doesn't have to be that the other one's awful just because you like one, right? Um, we, we experience that in a lot of places, like in political spheres, a lot of sports teams. I mean, today there's this apparently big hockey game going on called the so- Super Bowl or whatever. <laughs> you know, people do that all the time. Oh, those teams suck. My team's the only good one. Like, you know, people watching hockey, it's like, oh, go Canucks. And other people are like, show us your Stanley Cups, you've won, right? You know, it's like, (laughs) my best guess is that probably most of the teams in the NHL are pretty good at playing hockey. Like, clearly better at ice skating than me, right? And it's great. You love one. Something interesting had happened in the hearts of uh, the people of Israel some reason i don't know why but god just said i'm going to work through this nation it's not exclusive throughout the old testament you read how israel should be a light to the other nations and, and should include other nations and god has this big heart for everyone but he works specifically through his people you arrive at the new testament well even in the old testament but you realize what's what's happened with this beautiful kind of like plan that god has is people have just become tribalistic and they've become racist and they've looked down on other people and, What a shame. Anyways, some of you are doing the math. You're like, Ryan, you're three words in. Um, (laughs) Super Bowl. Okay. (laughs) Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. It says Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. For most of us, that's a few words. We're kind of like, oh, he just like went over to this place. It's about 80 kilometers from where he was. Um, And uh, if if you've ever visited like a developing nation, and I mean like a place that's really poor, uh, a lot of the people you'll meet in a village, maybe in their life will never travel 80 kilometers from their house. Travel as we know it today is quite a luxury. Many of us have been out of the country. Probably most people on this planet never will be out of their will travel out of their country. And particularly back then, eighty kilometers? I mean, Jesus didn't just call an Uber, you know, he didn't like charter, like he didn't hop on flair or swoop or whatever. Like, this is a trip through like first century Palestine. It's hot. There are probably thieves on the road. Like this is a crazy trip. Eighty kilometers. He just withdrew to this region. He goes to this Gentile region. And Matthew points out that this woman's Canaanite. In Mark's gospel it says that she's Cyro-Phoenician big fancy mark words, right? But it's like Matthew's actually drawing this parallel to to her roots and saying this is actually like an ancient enemy of Israel. This is someone that the disciples would hate. This is someone that most Jewish people would look down on with disdain. They know they're better. They're the chosen people, right? I love it. Check this out. She comes up and she says, what's the first word out of her mouth? Lord, master, king, Lord, son of David. Hopefully you've been here for the last 15 chapters at Hillside. If you haven't, this is how Matthew's gospel starts out: Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David. Right? This is the this is like the prophecy of the Old Testament coming to fulfillment. This Canaanite woman has one of the best proclamations of who Jesus. We're always like, remember that time where Peter's all like, you know, you're the Son of God, and we're all like, yeah. He did. This like random woman in this in these cities that Jesus has like kind of condemned and stuff. She comes out and she makes this like messianic proclamation of who jesus is i love it she starts with the word lord son of david have mercy on me there's this ancient orthodox prayer it dates back probably 1700 years called the jesus prayer it goes like this lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner some of you know how to love it it's this prayer that's been prayed for a long time and this woman is one of the closest representations of this prayer that's existed for thousands of years in the church Lord son of David have mercy on me. This is interesting. My daughter's demon possessed. Have mercy on me. She's really personalized this thing. She really has a burden for her kid. She doesn't realize Jesus has a bigger burden for her kid because that's actually his daughter, but have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed. I imagine Jesus saying, are you sure she's not just two years old or like (laughs) going through puberty? We have a five-year-old and a two-year-old girl at home, right? So some of you parents are like, yeah, you know, I get it. thought my kid's been demon-possessed for the last 14 years. Turns out that's just how it goes. <laughs> my daughter's demon-possessed. She's suffering terribly. We'll, we'll kind of note some of her words. She speaks a few times. Jesus did not answer a word. That's weird. Silent treatment. Who likes getting the silent treatment? Who's given the silent treatment before, and you just feel awful doing it? I, yeah, I know. I'm, it's actually like yeah uh, that's something i'm not proud of but that's kind of like my sinful tendency in in the midst of conflicts conflict jesus gives a silent treatment seems probably pretty weird he does this a couple times in weird times he does this this time he also does this when he's like on trial could save his life he's gonna get like crucified just silence just doesn't say anything just kind of lets the world happen around him jesus didn't answer a word so his disciples came to him and urged him send her away for she keeps crying out after this this is a nice way of saying Jesus, get rid of this woman. She's so annoying. She sucks. Like, just get rid of her. It's likely that the disciples are probably just like, just grant the, like, heal the daughter. Just whatever it takes. Get rid of this Canaanite woman. We don't, wanna, we don't want a woman around. We don't want a Canaanite around. We, we, don't, we don't like her. Again, we probably think, oh, we, we never do that. I think the modern church probably has a lot of great barriers to entry for people outside of the church and greater walls we put up than we're aware of. And they probably weren't aware of their walls either. Get rid of this woman. And Jesus, his answer, right, is like, oh, no, I won't, I won't get rid of her. I love this woman. I've got compassion for her. She's who I came for. I care about her. No. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This is the moment where you know, I, I think anybody, especially in our context, is reading the gospel and gets to this point and says, what the heck, Jesus? In um, and, and a maybe a quick comment about this this is um interesting language because some scholars debate about whether Jesus is saying I was sent for the lost sheep who are part of Israel or I was sent for Israel who is lost sheep if he's talking about all of them I, I would argue that he's probably talking about all of them he's saying my nation Israel I'm trying to do this great work through you and you guys have thrown it away you guys are lost I've been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel I think if we read the whole Bible, we get the sense that Jesus wasn't saying, I'm only sent to them, I only care about them, but for some reason, and I don't know why, but he had this plan still, he's still sticking to this plan, even though it's not gone that well a whole bunch of times, which maybe sounds bad, but I think the same about my own life, he has this plan to work through me, and I screw it up all the time, and he says, you know, this is still my plan, I've come to put my house in order so that my house will be a place of light to the nations. Kind of that when you're on the airplane and they're like, put your air mask on first and then help the person beside you. He's like, I think Jesus is coming to resuscitate this thing. He's like, we gotta get this thing breathing, and then we're gonna help those around us. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. At this point, this woman, you know, at this point I, I would be embarrassed. I'd feel dejected. I'd go away. The woman came and knelt before him, and again, what's the first word out of her mouth? Lord, help me, Lord. Help me, she said. Oh, man, so far this woman said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. What a humble voice of prayer. This language here that says she came and knelt before Jesus, the, the Greek is proskeneu. Now, you also don't need to remember that. In Hebrew, the equivalent is shakah, And this actually means whenever you read kneel and bow, you can probably assume that this is showing up. This is the word in the Bible, the primary word for worship. So some translations will say she came and worshipped Jesus. Now, what's interesting, all of us in the modern era are like, well, did they have the lyrics on the screen? Was was there a drummer, lights, you know? Speaking of which, that little drummer dude this morning? Come on, that's crazy. (laughs) That's awesome, yeah. There's no band. It's weird. How is she worshipping? Worship in the Bible, and I'm not knocking on music, worship in the Bible is hardly ever connected to getting together and doing kind of group karaoke on a Sunday morning. That's a beautiful thing that the church has done for a long time and that we get to do. But a lot of times, again, I think we simplify that to this like, okay, I'm going to go do my 30 minutes of worship. You know, it's kind of like we're an EV that gets like charged up, you know, once in a while. It's just like sing these songs. I don't like that song. So I got a little bit less of a charge. No, it's like this woman comes and she worships. She kneels. She surrenders her life. She lays her life in front of Jesus and says, I've got nothing. Have mercy on me and help me, Jesus you are Lord. It's this thing of humbly coming before him. What does prayer usually look like in the modern church? Prayer is usually request-driven. Prayer is usually a thing that elevates us. God, I need. God, serve me. Rather than a response to his greatness that lowers us and elevates him. She just comes. Here's what she's saying, and this mirrors so much of Jesus' prayer that he teaches in Matthew 6. Hopefully you remember that. If not, I'm giving you a lot of opportunities to go back and look at, like, the hills, uh, the hillside. I almost said hillsong. My dad said that as a joke yesterday. Not hillsong. Hillside. Um, back at the hillside library and see some of these Matthew messages. But in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us this model prayer. It's quite simple. It's just, like, worship and confession. And this woman is doing that because she comes and she says, well, what's the greatest part of God's will? The greatest part of God's will is for people to enter into relationship with him, to experience the life-changing life changing truth of the gospel I was at this retreat a few years ago hanging out with some students and the speaker there he said something that was so convicting you know those times when someone says something and it just sticks with you for years I don't have any of those for you this morning except this one from this guy that I heard and he said this thing he's like if Jesus showed up today and said everything you guys have prayed and asked for in the past couple weeks in the past week I'm just going to say yes and give it to you how many new followers of Jesus would there be how many people would get saved how many people would enter into relationship with jesus and i sat there i was like oh dang girl you know it's like uh, yeah we elevate ourselves thinking we need we need we need and this woman prays with jesus's prayer our father in heaven god lord she worships him he says your kingdom come your will be done and she says god your kingdom come your will be done what's she asking for her daughter is caught in spiritual darkness her daughter is trapped in evil her daughter is far from the kingdom of jesus and she says jesus would you transform her life and save her and redeem her and bring her into the light oh if that isn't what prayer is all about worshiping jesus and in the midst of that there seems to be this confession of like have mercy on me a sinner that's what jesus teaches we confess we worship and we pray along with his will rather than our own desires lord help me and Jesus says, oh, of course, I'd love to help you. I, I, I'm that person you see in paintings stroking a lamb. I'm so kind and nice. And, and, and here's something that's been interesting as I've been crutching around. I've realized we live in a really nice world, actually. Like, I mean, realize there was a lot of evil in the world. But man, like, everyone gets the door for me. Everyone's so accommodating and stuff like that. And I think a lot of times we think that that's what the gospel is all about. Just be nice to people, and maybe they'll figure out the God thing on their own. Jesus is not very nice sometimes. He's kind. He's loving. This is his response. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This has got to be a typo, right? Like, this has got to be like they messed something up somewhere. It's not right to give the, take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Valentine's is coming up. Just a little tip to the men. Dog is not, like, a good piece of language to use for that girl that you're pursuing, most women don't like it. And not speaking from experience, I've just heard most women don't want to be called a dog. What's interesting in this context is that the Canaanites, Gentiles, would be called dogs, would be referred to as dogs by the the, the Israelites. They're better, right? They're more superior. Those are they're great and those are mangy dogs. Now, we when we think about dogs, we think about like, you know, everyone's got their vaccinated, they've spent thousands of dollars on this nice animal, you know. If you've ever again, if you've ever been to a developing nation, we we took our daughters to Mexico to visit some missionaries down there. And one of the first things I told them was like, you see a dog, you are not allowed to touch it. That's not a thing. I went out for this run on the side of this mountain and I was one of my hopes while I was running, it's kind of in the middle of the desert, was that I'd see a rattlesnake and be like, oh, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, that's dangerous. What happened on this one time I was on the run is I kind of come around this corridor and I look down and about 150 feet away, there are these four dogs just in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Those are dangerous, gross, like I stopped and I was like, please give me like a pit of snakes instead of this, like this is, I stopped, kind of you know figured it out, I'm still alive, I don't have rabies, I promise, but um, no one's gonna be shaking my hand afterwards. But dogs in Jesus's day were mostly gross. However, there were some really luxurious people who had trained dogs and the language that Jesus used here was actually differentiated from what the Jews would normally refer to the Gentiles as those gross mangy dogs. It would be like a nice beautiful house pet. Now I realize that's still not a compliment. You're like, Ryan, you're doing some like serious Bible acrobatics here. I get a sense, I sometimes, sarcasm is my love language. I get the sense that Jesus was sometimes sarcastic. You can argue with me if you want. It's not really like that biblical. But here, here's an example from my own life. And you know, I don't want to step on any theological toes, and I'm happy to disagree on this theological point. But me, theologically, I believe that women should have access to all roles of ministry in the church and, and, and all spaces of leadership, and people should serve according to their gifting. Now, some churches don't, and I want to respect that. But sometimes, um, so my wife, she'll speak or like I'll have a friend who's like doing something. And sometimes I'll make a joke like, shouldn't you like wear a head covering while you're doing that? Now, you might not think that's funny. But that's kind of my way of kind of poking a hole at what's being said on the other side of that. That's not an insult to my wife. I think what Jesus is doing there is a little bit of that. I think he's testing this woman's faith, but he's also probably making an example to his disciples and poking a hole at what he knows is going through their hearts and minds her response and this is what this passage all comes down to yes it is lord now she's not saying yes it is it is good to like give the, she's not arguing she's actually agreeing the language there is she's saying you're right she just agrees in her modern era she should have slapped him right she just stood up and just wham smacked him across the ankle and broken it or something but she just she should have hit him and walked up she says yes god you're right but then she says even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table so Jesus is surrounded by a group of dudes and they do a lot of awesome things. But here are some of the things they also do. Hey, Jesus, love everything you're doing. Small request, nothing big, just a little thing. In heaven, when you're ruling the universe, can one of us sit at your right hand and one of us at your left hand? Could could we do that? Even Peter, I mean, I think it's an inspiring story when he gets out of the Bible, out of the out of the Bible, out of the boat and starts walking on water. But I'm in the boat, I'm thinking, who the heck do you think you are? You know? These guys often, there's so many good things about them, but they often struggle with this. And this woman comes and shows them. She's like, this is what true worship is actually about. She starts again with the word Lord. She's like, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs. She doesn't fight back. She's like, I'm not a dog. She doesn't fight for anything. She says, Jesus, even crumbs at your table would be so satisfying for me. Remember those lost sheep of Israel that you came to? She's like, I see that they're rejecting your bread. I see that you've given yourself to them. I see that you're the bread of life. I see that you're their daily bread that you offer so much. And they're just pushing it away. They're rejecting it. They're the ones slapping you. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. It's crazy how much food they don't eat when it's time to eat food, and it ends up on the floor. It's insane. Good, the good news is that groceries are particularly cheap right now, so it's not a big deal. But <laughs> honestly, sometimes I think like if they went under the table after the meal, there's more food there than they actually consumed off their plate. God, Jesus comes to a bunch of like screaming toddlers, the Israelites, church people, us, people who comfortably have the religious thing going and, and have kind of adopted some kind of system of this is how you check the boxes. And again, this comes back to my great, Passion for this thing. It's like, it's so easy to come to church on Sundays. It's quite affirming. We can have friends and we can feel encouraged into it and do it. We can listen to the spiritual leftovers of a person. And you have Derwin, so they're great spiritual leftovers. And we can sing the songs and we think uh, we can feel very affirmed and empowered of ourselves and be like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm like, you know, I'm all Jesus y and all that. And Jesus says, are you just like, are you content to just eat the crumbs? He's saying, My food is so good for you. Come and sacrifice yourself that you would rather delight in the doggy dish and you'd rather be a puppy underneath my table than the Lord of your own kingdom. This woman says, even if I need to be a dog licking up crumbs, I'd rather be in the presence and the kingdom of Jesus rather than chasing the other food that this world has to offer. This is the issue that Jesus faces. He comes. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the bread of life. I've set a feast before you in the presence of your enemies. And most people turn to a different table and say, I don't care. I don't want it. Again, that's like, comes back to my great passion. It's like, is reading the Bible hard? For sure. Is it tough? Yeah. Is spending time engaged in meaningful prayer tough? For sure. It's like what this woman went through. It's tough. Following Jesus is hard. There's no, there's no question about that. When it becomes really comfortable and easy, we're probably missing, and we're probably doing it wrong. Then Jesus said to her, finally, Jesus says what we expect him to say. Woman, you have great faith your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. See what happens when we actually surrender and sacrifice our own desires to the will of the great father and are content to just even eat the breadcrumbs from his table, if that's what we have. The world around us starts to change. We often think, oh, purpose is all about going out and doing and doing and doing. Our purpose in Jesus is really to be to be in relationship with him, a sacrificial, surrendered relationship where we say, I am more delighted in, I am more fascinated by your voice than all the things that the world has to offer me. This woman, every time she speaks, three times she speaks, what does she say? Lord, Lord, Lord. Besides words like to and the and stuff like that, it's like the most frequent word in this. I think sometimes in the modern church, her We might not say it out loud and I'm guilty of this too is that really we treat Jesus more like a servant or more like a someone to run out to go do our errands or someone to like do the things we want rather than just saying you're Lord. And again I don't have some great wrap up point or that thing that's going to like zing at the end that kill our bottom line or whatever. I hope you're just fascinated by this Jesus and maybe a little bit more intrigued by this bread that he sets on the table and that instead of us being part of, I think, the vast movement in the modern church to ignore the bread and turn to a different table and the fascinations of this world, that we would get excited about how life-giving and meaningful that bread is. We wouldn't waste crumbs. We would eat it all. We would say, Jesus, I I just want to be in love with you and your voice and your presence in my life. Uh, The band's going to come up and play, and um, especially with my dude right here. How old are you, man? Ten. Come on. That's crazy. <laughs> Move on over, Derwin. This guy's taking over. I'd love to pray with you guys. Jesus, Lord, oh have mercy on us. Help us. Help us to be people who are content to delight in the food that you offer. I know, God, that I often get so wrapped up in what I want and what's good for me in this life and this world rather than just humbly kneeling before you and worshiping you and laying my life in front of you and saying, I I just need you. Hmm. May we be a people who delight in who you are, in your satisfying presence, your life-giving word, and the transformation that you offer us and those around us, God. You're so good, and we love you.